welcome you back to the Baseball Elite Podcast here. Kyle Elfrink and Ray Flowers back with you on a uh, Wednesday. It's uh, episode two. Yeah, you've only missed one episode if this is the first time you've heard us. Uh, but fear not, uh, we've got loads of things to get you caught up on as spring training is underway. And of course, fantasy draft season is underway, including today on the show. We're actually going to talk about a draft that uh, Mr. Ray Flowers was a part of uh, Ray. You are the critical component in this show, so I'm glad you showed up for the podcast. Oh, today. well, thank you, Kyle. I think both of us are pretty important, and uh, <laughs> we get paid to do this, so I better show up, right? Yeah, yeah. We don't want to have to fire you. If, if if we can, you Ray, then nobody knows what to do for the fantasy baseball season. You're the guy. We're all counting on you to lead us to victory in March. You have a lot that is. That is hanging around on your shoulders right now. You could always turn it to Kyle's Rundown at FantasyGuru.com. Just change the name on the the little logo there, Kyle. You'd be good to go. I'm kind of working on that behind the scenes. You're you're not supposed to know about that, but uh, I've got some ideas uh, that that I'm working on. Uh, We welcome you to this podcast three times a week. Again, we just started up this week. Uh, We'll go about, you know, an hour or so pretty well every time. And Ray and I will give you the latest and greatest, the things that matter to you, the fantasy player. And certainly we're in draft season. So we'll be checking in on spring training games. We'll be talking strategies. We'll be talking about sleepers, uh, rookies, guys we like, all the general stuff. But you get it with the vibe of the Oracle and Kyle Elfring. So we've been here. We've been together for, for years and years and years. So we know each other well. We love talking fantasy baseball and we're totally excited Uh, to be doing it three times a week uh, here with Fantasy Guru. Uh, We always like to start the show with a rundown of what we're going to hit on. We call it our starting nine. So uh, here's what you got coming over the next hour. Uh, We'll lead off with the idea that Triple A baseball may be delayed this year. Maybe, 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 maybe it's going to start in May. Do we have alternative training sites returning? We'll talk about what this means for the fantasy player because, hey, this keeps prospects waiting. That's what we'll lead off with. In the two-hole, we'll talk about who's stashing with prospects, who who, who is worth drafting and holding on to, especially if we're going to have an altered minor league season. In the third spot, we'll get you up to date on all the news and notes from spring training. Uh, In the four-hole at the cleanup spot, Ray and I will recap his 12-team Tout Wars draft. It was a bit different than most drafts. Sure, it was a five-by-five league, but the categories were slightly different. We'll see how Ray handled that switch in the categories. Batting fifth today will make the case for Christian Yelich in 2021. Our player profile in the six-hole will take a look at Robbie Ray. And then the seventh spot in the lineup today, we'll look at some other guys who may be looking for a turnaround. Yelich and Ray certainly doing that. But there are some other big names who are looking for a much improved 2021 over what they did in 2020. And then we'll wrap things up in the eight and nine spot, our daily random reference, and then our stamp of approval to round things up on the podcast. Ray, though, let's uh, start with the minor leagues. We always talk about the major leagues. We we talk about the guys we're drafting. We talk about the guys who we're going to pick in round five, round 10, whatever it may be. But today, I think the big news that we have to discuss is uh, something Jeff Passan of of Yahoo Sports reported yesterday saying that uh, Major League Baseball may push back the start date for AAA baseball to early May, and that may mean another season of alternate training sites or at least another month. What's that news mean to you? Because I think it does affect the outlook for some of the young guys that we're all hoping to see this year. Yeah, you know, the, the league has to do what they have to do to make sure everyone's healthy and all that, all right? And and that's a big and difficult decision and task that they have to undertake i don't get this i mean i you know this is another one of those things this might have 
nothing with COVID is, is worse now than it was a month, two, three, four months ago, right? It's not. And they've got all these models and they hire all these scientists and doctors and everyone, you know, to give them the good advice and the whole thing. And it always seems like we're, we're chicken with their head cut off, running around trying to figure out what's going on. I don't understand. Like, why are we learning this now? Couldn't they at least have announced this when players reported to camp? I mean, that's the thing that, that puts me off here. It seems like Major League Baseball doesn't have a plan. I guess they do. It's just indecipherable. And, you know, beyond that, we have to then wonder, like you said, about the development of players. And, you know, it, it's they're just not going to play for a month. Like what they're just going to go down to the, the the local batting cage and put, pop some quarters in and let it like what I don't know. Have you I haven't seen I read the article. And I haven't heard much follow-up yet, but what are these players going to do for the next month, Kyle? Well, I, I think the alternate training sites may be there, but again, how many guys can you put at an alternate training site? I think last summer, Ray, wasn't it like 20 to 25 guys for each team? Yeah, Passan reported, I think he said two dozen in his article, right? Yeah, so, so it, it was a limited number. And of course, we have had a shrinking of the numbers of teams in, in the minor leagues this year. That was a change. That was a planned for change that really didn't have much to do with COVID. Uh, you know, they just wanted to, to make things a little more understandable and to, and to whittle off the fat, if you will, in the minor leagues. So you, you still have hundreds of players in each organization. So the alternate training thing, I, I don't know, maybe they stay in Florida. You know, when the big league team heads north and starts their season, maybe you keep all those minor leaguers down in Florida. I, I think one of the reasons, and, and this is everybody's excuse for everything, but one of the reasons, Ray, that you say, okay, well, May 1st is, is our targeted date. A, you do want to see where the numbers go. You're right. They're totally trending downwards, but I guess the, the more you wait, the better it is. B, it does cost money for these minor league teams to open. Um, and will they have fans? You know, we got minor league teams scattered all over the country. We have different COVID protocols all over the country. So there are probably a lot of minor league owners, Ray, who are sitting there and saying, well, we don't want to open until we can have fans. Maybe that, that better opportunity is, is in May. And, and let it be known, the minor leagues are working from an extremely different economic playbook than the major leagues. Uh, the major leagues get TV money. So even last year with no fans on the stands, they made money or they got money, at least because of the TV money. The minor leagues, Ray, obviously don't have that. So, I, you know, it's it's a, it's a tough argument to make to the players. I think to the fans, it's a tough argument to the fantasy owner. It kind of throws a, a rock in our way, a speed bump in our way. But I guess the economic argument is the one they're going to go with. I, I think for our purposes, you know, do we see April call-ups? Because there, there's a lot of thoughts, Ray, that, oh, we're, we're going to send guys to the minor leagues to start the season. We'll call them up in the third week of April. We'll, we'll save that year of, you know, arbitration, whatever you want to call it. You know, guys like Alex Kirilov in Minnesota, Jared Kelenic in Seattle. Those are just two names. But, Ray, there's, there's a dozen names that could truly be affected guys. We may have seen in, in mid April, but now maybe we don't get to see them until May. And well, we could also see the opposite too. We could see these players break yeah. with camp, be with the team for three weeks and then get sent down when the minors start. I mean, because they, because it doesn't, they don't have to do the playing time service thing. The first start at the start of the season, they could do it at any part. Just go look at what happened with Byron Buxton. When they backdated him, they did it years later. So there's a lot of uncertainty. My, my point, and I understand the financial component that you're talking about is totally right. I mean, these, these small market minor league teams, they, they can't afford to play games without fans. They can't do it. I get it. But shouldn't they still be playing the games? I mean, I, that's the part I don't understand. We can talk about how the alternative site's good for the players and 
you know, I heard Jim Bowden talk about how it was a good thing. Steve Phillips, you know, like th there's a lot of people out there that think the alternative site was beneficial for players. Maybe it was. Now, of course, it's beneficial for, like you're saying, the 25, 30 guys that are there, or the other hundreds and hundreds <laughs> yeah. and, you know, the 90% the of the minor leaguers on the organization didn't get jack out of last year. And I think they got to get these players back, don't they, Kyle? Don't they need to get them playing games? Because, again, the majority of these players with these organizations didn't play real games last year. Well, and, and to your point, Ray, the, the high-end prospects with each organization got to play last year, and you would expect them to be a part of any alternate spring camp. But there are plenty of guys who arrive in the big leagues, and they aren't expected to be superstars. And, and they can still become superstars. And, and those are the guys right now in the minor leagues that aren't, you know, I, I, I'm a top five prospect on the Milwaukee Brewers. Okay, we know those guys are going to get some work. But, hey, I'm a top 40 prospect with the Milwaukee Brewers. Well, does that guy get work? And, you know, Ray, you look at, at the current day landscape of baseball. Um, you know, the, the best players in the game, a, a great deal of them did come up with huge expectations. You know, they were expected to, to be one of the best on their team. But, you know, a guy like Jake DeGrom mm -hmm. was seen as, you know, a, a a starting pitching prospect, but not a guy who would be the best in baseball. Um, you have other players that that came up through the minor leagues and and sure they were looked at and they were considered, you know, solid. But, you know, DJ LeMahieu was never looked at as, oh, gosh, this guy's one of the best hitting prospects in all of baseball. Um, you know, you can dig deeper and, and go into like the, the 60s and 70s on your ADP chart. And you're going to start seeing a lot of guys who came up and, and kind of became something notable once they got to the big leagues. And so that is a necessary part, Ray, is having these minor league games, having single A ball, having double A ball. You almost feel like some of these lower end prospects could get lost in the shuffle. And, and maybe we never find out what they can truly be. Doesn't that seem like the plan for Major League Baseball? Kind of a scary plan. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I mean, when you talk about them losing teams, when you talk about them reorganizing the minor leagues, let's be, you know, let's call it what it is. They're contracting and they're eliminating jobs and they're eliminating young men's opportunity to play pro baseball. Now, maybe 99% of those players never make it anyway. And okay, that's the argument, right? But that's a lot of, lot of dudes out there that are, you know, losing their dream. And, uh, you know, if, if they teams, teams are doing some weird things, in my opinion, like they got all this money and everything and they don't seem to be putting it in the right places. And I think their focus is wrong. Um, but you're, you're totally right. That the, the one thing about baseball is you don't have to be six foot nine. You don't have to run a four, three to play. You don't, right. You can grind it out. I mean, a lot of players that have been all-stars at the major league level, they didn't have absurd level of talent. And people talk about Pete Rose, the all-time hit King, right? No one ever said they saw Pete Rose play for one day and were like, that's the greatest baseball player ever. No one ever said that. He just grinded it out every at bat every single day. And you lose the ability to do that if you're you know, limiting the amount of players, obviously, that are playing the game. And you also lose the ability for players to continually grow and move their game forward by not playing. That's the thing that gets me the most here is it, even if the high level prospects, you know, they're with the big league club. Great. They're taking batting practice. Great. They're not playing in games. They're not, they're not out there. And that's how you improve as a baseball player. It's the reps. And a lot of these guys didn't get them last year. And they're certainly not going to get them to start this season. So that is an off the field story uh, that will soon become an on the field story. You know, when, when is the minor league season going to start? And, you know, triple A is one thing, but then you have double A, you have single A, you have rookie ball. There are so many decisions to be made. And, and maybe that's some long-term thinking for the fantasy player. Uh, but for anybody listening to this in a dynasty league, 
you know, you probably have eight, nine prospects on your team and they're not all triple A guys. Some guys may be single A guys and, and you kind of want a game plan. So it's something to follow. I, I think for a majority of our audience though, Ray, we have that off the field story, which will soon become on the field. And once it's on the field, it now affects us in the draft room. And it got me thinking this story yesterday about, you know, rookies and, and who is worth stashing. And we never have a great read on this because every team, except for the Mariners, when one of their head honchos decides to speak out of turn, every team <laughs> kind of keeps it under wraps as to what they want to do with rookies and winter call updates going to happen. But every year, Ray, we sit here and, and you and I and, and so many other experts sit here in the month of March and people want to talk rookies mm -hmm. and they want to talk about who's going to help my fantasy team. So I figured with this news yesterday, it's, it's worthwhile to talk about some of these rookies and, and who's worth stashing. Um, we don't know who's going to, to make the team. You know, it's way too early in spring training, but who is worth stashing? And I think the first guy you got to talk about, Ray, is the guy that every single ranking system has as the number one prospect in baseball. That's Wander Franco of the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, shortstop for the Rays, very young, obviously didn't get any games last season, although he did travel with the team in October. Uh, during their playoff run, didn't play, but but he was kind of around the major league organization there. The first thing to say with Franco Ray is he's going to be drafted, I think, even in redraft leagues everywhere. It's a question of when and where. And secondly, we need to understand that being the top prospect in baseball is a little different than being the top fantasy prospect in baseball. And, and that's one thing to understand with Wander Franco. Yeah, and I'll back up just for a second. I always forget now that we're doing these podcasts here that I can say fantasy guru, fantasy guru, fantasy guru 5,000 times if I want. Uh, <laughs> we've, got a whole, we've got a whole section of articles just to let people know uh, at the top of the, the website, if you click on or hover over the draft guide tab, find the MLB rookies. It's the second one there on the left. And we've got like 8,000 words on pitchers and hitters, uh, You know, basically scouting reports, other guys. There's a top 40 rookies for the upcoming season prognostications I made back in December, as Cal noted, we're still at that point now where we're uncertain just to let everyone know. So we got a whole section there on rookies. Um, yeah. Being a elite level prospect doesn't always translate to an elite level fantasy game um, because a lot of times the prospects, um, the, 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 the people doing that work are looking at the overall player, right? So what's their defense like? We don't care about that in the fantasy game. They're not concerned with whether the player debuts in 2021 or 2023. They're looking mm -hmm. at who the player will become. Uh, now, in the case of Franco, it is, you know, it's a little different because I don't think anyone looks at him and thinks, you know, he needs five years of development to get to be that guy. Most people think he's pretty much there already. Physically, he's there. Um, they think his maturity is excellent. The questions then start. First of all, he's 20 years old, barely. He's 20 years old in two days when we record this, but he barely can't even get a drink, okay? As we discussed previously, he has 223 plate appearances at high A ball. That's it. He does not have an at-bat above A ball, okay? So he doesn't have that experience. He's young, and they have a shortstop in Willie Adamas. Now, it's not that he's going to keep Franco from playing shortstop. It's that he can delay Franco from playing shortstop because he is a competent major league player. And there's a report that the Rays, as many teams want to do, and especially the Rays nowadays do, they want Franco to learn to play multiple positions. Okay. He's been exclusively a shortstop to date. They want him to pick up second base, maybe give third base a try. So I have a hard time envisioning him, Kyle, after all of that, being someone that we see in the first half of the major league season, though he is being drafted as if that is incorrect. 
one thing to follow, I believe, is how much do they push him in spring training? Um, they've given him a couple of games already. He's had five plate appearances. Hasn't got a hit in any of the play, plate appearances. A couple of strikeouts, too. But, Ray, I'm kind of following that, that games played, uh, the number of innings played. That may give all of us maybe an indication of what the Rays think of Franco now and maybe how soon they're going to call him up. And, and I'm not saying opening day, but I think, Ray, if he gets a lot of spring training action, to me, with every extra plate appearance for Wander Franco, maybe it becomes more of a thing of, oh, maybe it's midsummer for Wander Franco. Now, now things would have to happen. You mentioned the shortstop position with Adamas, so on and so forth. But I think following just that simple plate appearances and games played, number of innings played, uh, is he starting the game? Is he going to like the sixth or seventh inning? That may give us a, a true sign of what the Rays want to do with him this year. It sure would, yes. Uh, eyeballing him too and seeing how he looks because 0 for 5 sounds terrible, but maybe he was having good at bats. <laughs> you right? Maybe he had good at bats and it's just it was 0 for 5 because uh, we're not going to get 130 plate appearances in spring, right? So that's something to keep an eye on. And I just, I just, I look at the, especially with the rookies in the broader context of, like I said, if they bench Willie Adams, because they're not going to bring Wander Franco to the big league roster to not play. That, that no team does that. I don't think there's any shot they would do this. Franco is someone that the the Rays believe, under the current setup at least, they got for six, seven years, right? They they're going to build around this guy. They can't Jimmy Jack and bench him half. They got to play. So you're going to take Willie Adams, who's 25 years old and has been your starting shortstop for a couple years, and just bench him. I mean, that crushes his, his trade value. Uh, it does nothing for him. It does nothing for the team, especially if Franco struggles when he starts. So I just, I look at that and I think the Rays are not a team that wants to be spending $175 million on their payroll. And I just, uh, maybe I'm missing this one completely, Kyle. I mean, because again, I seem to be the only person out there. Well, I guess you kind of echoed it, but <laughs> most people out there, like you're saying, they're drafting him in the 20th round. And it's like, yeah. I, I just, I don't see it. Well, and, and I always tell people, you can totally disagree with me, but just understand what you're getting. And with Franco, that's that's a draft and hold. And nobody's allowed to complain if you have Wander Franco and he's not up in May. Um, you know, the earliest you should even expect is maybe June. Anything else would be gravy. You know, any earlier, if, if it is April, if it is May, I, I mean, that that's a huge hit. So just understand what you're drafting. And Ray, that goes for some other names. I, I know, you know, we mentioned Jared Kellenick with, mm -hmm. with Seattle. We mentioned Alex Kirilov with Minnesota. Got to throw McKenzie Gore in here uh, with San Diego, maybe a couple of other names, but those are all names that are going to get drafted in, in all leagues, 12 team leagues, 14, 15 mixed leagues. All of these guys are going to get drafted. You're not really a stash and hold guy. You just aren't. Mm -hmm. But what is kind of your expectation for each of these guys, especially Kellenick, Karoloff and, and McKenzie Gore? What do you kind of see in, in terms of cross your fingers and hope they get called up by this date? Yeah, I, you're right. I'm not really a stash and hold. If I could grab these guys in the 28th round of a draft, sure. But that's not usually where they go, especially in the, in the case of guys like Kalanick and Kirilov. It sounds like, and you know, I do the, the Sunday show on Sirius with Jim Bowden, and we talk on air and off air. He really believes that Kalanick, and he's drafting him in every draft, he really believes that Kalanick is, is the starter in left field for the Twins that that's what's going to happen. And, you know, he may not play every day. They might platoon him a little bit, but he's the starter out there. And I think the Kellenic news with, you know, the situation with the front office and everything, we've talked about this too. Dude has no experience. Like he should not begin the major league season with the big league club. He needs some work, but I think both Kellenic and Kirilov have legitimate shots to make the opening day roster. 
If not, you know, a couple of weeks in, I think teams, they both teams could still be doing that with these guys. Um, I think that both of them are generating a tremendous level of hype in the fantasy game. But my question is, you know, what, who are they, you know, where are they at in their development, all that kind of stuff. I mean, are they, are they appreciably different than, I'm just looking for it. jerks and profile. Are they appreciably different than AJ Pollock? How about mm-hmm. that? Are they? Eh, I don't think they are. Right. So, eh. um, the Mackenzie Gore one to me is the most fascinating here because I, we, we had AJ Preller on, on Sunday last week and he was a GM and didn't answer any of the questions um, <laughs> because, you know, that's how they, but I basically said, I said, look, is it going to take an injury? Like what can Mackenzie Gore do if there's not an injury to the pitching staff? And he hemmed and hawed and he didn't answer it, but there's nothing Gore can do. It's Darvish and Snell, Musgrove, Paddock, Lamette. If those five guys are healthy, unless the Padres go with the six-man rotation, there's no place for Gore. And as great a talent as Gore is, and I don't think anyone argues that he's not one or two amongst pitching prospects in baseball, there were a lot of people that said last season his mechanics got off and he just he was discombobulated. So they really want to see him put it all together. I, Gore, to me, is the least likely of these three to make an impact in the fantasy game this year. And, and if you look at the rookie list, you know, those are guys that we may see at some point this summer. I will say there are actually a lot of quote unquote rookies, you know, they're rookies by the definition of, of who is eligible for the award. There's a lot of guys that will be on opening day rosters. And most of these guys, Ray, we got to see last year, you know, the likes of, of Cabrian Hayes, he's, he's still a rookie eligible player or, you know, Nate Pearson or Dylan Carlson, Sixto Sanchez, um, Ian Anderson with the Braves. There actually is a slew of rookies, you know, the guys that we did get to see a bit last season. And all those guys, I think, Ray, are, are going to be on a big league team coming into this year. Mm-hmm. And, and I think all of them have a level of excitement with them. Now, rookies can fail. We, we got to say that. But those are not guys that, hey, I'm drafting them and I'm stashing them. Those are guys that you're drafting right now and you're probably playing them in the first week of the season. Yeah, you could be. And I mean, you know, we, we always give the example um, of Mike Trout. He had 210 as a rookie. His teammate, Joe Adele, last year hit 161 with an OPS in the 400s. And Adele is an elite level prospect. So, yeah, this is this is always the difficult part. You know, Mike Trout's gone on to become one of the greatest right handers of all time. Joe Adele could go on to become a monster himself. He could be the next, you know, Justin Upton. I mean, this is, it's a tough game. And that's the hardest part with the youngsters is predicting when they're going to get the opportunity, how they're going to do with that first opportunity. And now let's toss in that last year was a mess and it wasn't consistent and they didn't get the game action that they're used to getting, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just very wary this season with taking pitching early as well as taking rookies early, even if it looks like they've got a good beat on the job. I think this is a year that it makes a lot of sense for the A.J. Pollocks of the world to be people that you turn to versus some of these youngsters. And and one last name I'll throw in here um, because we're trying to give you things to actually follow in spring training because there is so much noise and so much that's useless to follow. But Ray with the White Sox, Andrew Vaughn, mm-hmm. um, that, that would be another rookie to throw out here. And all indications are unlike you know, some of these other high-end rookies and and Vaughn's not like, you know, top five prospect in all of baseball, but he is a power hitting, you know, corner infielder. And Ray, he looks to be ticketed to make this team and, and playing time may be a bit of an issue, but I think if he hits, he's on this team and he's probably in the lineup on opening day. Very, very fair. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's, it's intriguing. The playing time component 
is usually the biggest issue to overcome with the young players. And if there is a young player that has the opportunity to be in the starting lineup, to get that, and even if they're hitting in the bottom third of the order, to be in that lineup, that's the key. Because remember, we want innings and we want plate appearances in the fantasy game. That's really what it comes down to, provided, you know, the guy doesn't have an area six or hitting 210, <laughs> you know, that we that's what we need is that playing time. And if these youngsters with the pedigree, these youngsters with the background, and these youngsters who hold a role of importance in their organization start out and at least are effective, you know, they're, they're average, right? They're effective. There's an opportunity for them to carve out that playing time now. Let's move to the third spot in our uh, batting order here on the Baseball Elite Podcast. Kyle Alfrank and uh, Ray Flowers with you. We talked about prospects leading off, kind of who's worth stashing in the two-hole. Three spot, Ray, we're going to move away from the rookies and, and talk about some of the spring training issues that uh, have, have cropped up in the first few days. Um, does look like Shohei Atani is going to debut on Friday. Reports have been very glowing for him in terms of side sessions with, with a fastball that's buzzing in there at 99 if not 100 speaking of 100 i saw jordan hicks of the cardinals you know he's coming off an arm surgery 102 <laughs> supposedly on the radar gun uh so that keeps happening and ray we are getting our first uh round of injuries in spring camp um jordan alvarez who i think everybody is hyped about this uh, fantasy season still yet to play on the field yet to dh he is taking some some bp but it's been kind of slow in terms of getting him back on the field um, new injuries though, Cole Calhoun going to have some knee surgery and also Ray Xander Bogarts uh, dealing with a bulky shoulder. Now the, the Red Sox are saying nothing to see here, but Ray, we've seen this before with other players and other teams. Um, if you're not there at the start of camp and you're dealing with things that are, a you know, a little wishy-washy like a shoulder and you're getting MRIs, you at least keep an eye on Bogarts and you want to see him out playing in the field and playing defense probably by the middle of this month. If he's not out there in the next 10 days or so, then you start to worry about that shoulder. Yeah. And he is obviously being drafted, not as an elite guy, but that kind of that next level shortstop. He's still going very early in drafts. You know, he's been a 300 hitter the last couple of seasons. He's been a 30 home run player the last couple of years too. That's been that was the point of his game that he didn't have, right? He's not a big steel guy, but he gave you the hits, gave you the average, gave you the counting categories, but he didn't have the power. Well, you know, he had 33 home runs in 2019, then hit 11 last year, basically the same pace. He has become an excellent hitter, all around hitter. Um, he's 28 years old, you know, that all that stuff. There's nothing negative to say about the game. Now, the shoulder issue, though, yeah, that is something to, to you know keep a close eye on. He's played through it seemed like he's played through stuff a lot. That's just a recollection. I'm not looking at an injury report with him. So I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but you're right. This is something that it's okay right now, you know, first week of March, but you got to get going here. You got to get some reps because otherwise you have, you run the op, the, the project, potential of, of starting the season slowly. Cole Calhoun, what, four, six weeks is kind of the guesstimate here. Uh, maybe Dalton Varsho gets a chance to start in the outfield. That was uncertain. He's catcher eligible, which is where you'd want to use him. But maybe now he gets a chance to, Starting the outfield and impress the team. And then Jordan Alvarez, it's like, well, uh, you know, I mean, Steve Phillips, who we know um, and worked with a lot, he's he sent me about 18 offers for him in the dynasty they got in with him. Um, and I heard him on one of the broadcasts on Sirius last week talking about him. Maybe it was this week. So, I mean, everyone loves the bat, Kyle. Yeah. But this is the kind of guy that, to me, I was surprised to hear you say you have some faith in because you usually fade guys that have issues like this. Yeah, and, and the only reason I have faith in him over some other guys, Ray, coming off knee problems is his youth and, and the fact that he's not going to have to play in the field. So the hope is there's less weight, wear and tear on those knees. And again, 
I'm a, well, everybody should be a firm believer. When you're younger, you heal faster, you heal better. Um, now that doesn't mean this knee issue will never be a problem for Jordan Alvarez again, but I see the bat. I see the numbers. I see the year off. He gets another pass for me this year. And, and I think there is a slight bargain with him, Ray, um, just because of you almost forget how good mm-hmm. he was that rookie season. The other thing that makes him a bargain besides the, you know, forget for forgetfulness we sometimes have, but then you've got the injury and you have the fact that he's, UT only in almost all leagues out there. And I, I think all of that is creating to me a, a bit of a, an overlook, a bit of a slide that I don't think is fair. And it's not huge. I mean, he's still going in the fourth or fifth round. And like you noted, there's going to be people in every single draft that love Jordan Alvarez. So they may be taking him everywhere in the fourth round, but we've seen some drafts where he's fallen to the fifth or sixth. That was kind of earlier in the process. I, I, I do want to see him on the field. That would make me feel better. Um, you know, if we're sitting here on March 20th and he hasn't played yet, Ray, okay, probably, mm-hmm. probably calm down my excitement on Alvarez, but you're totally right right now. I'm willing to take him say in the fourth or fifth round for my team. Yeah. And there are other, you know, DH only kind of players, whether it's Otani or Cruz or Stan, but we, if you're looking at that position and, you know, to me, like I see JD Martinez is on a different group level than the rest of the guys at the moment. But if you're going to take Giancarlo Stan, just take your on Alvarez. Like, yeah, I mean, it's. You know, I, I get it. Uh, I understand it. Both guys have injury risk. Why not take the younger player? Um, it is something that I, and I've said this a lot, I, I want to see him play. But the problem with seeing Al- Alvarez play is, let's say he looks great for 10 days. What does that matter if we're talking six months? Like, you know, does he feel great? And then halfway through April, ah, my knee, you know. Yeah. So I agree with you. I'm going to give him partial benefit of the doubt, swinging toward more of benefit of the doubt, but I really like to see him out there playing. And, and quickly back on the D backs right with that Calhoun injury. And it's not like a season endurer. He's going to miss half the year, but you know, he could miss the first month or so. Um, we should mention the name Tim LaCastro, shouldn't we? Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the, of the speed element. And, and here's one of my favorite, I, I think according to stat Castro, if you looked at the fastest player in baseball last year, um, it's not Alberto Mondesi or Trey Turner. It's, it's Tim LaCastro. He was he was the fastest guy in baseball, and uh, he does have some still potential. Now, I don't know if he's going to get the job, but it's somebody to maybe follow. If he gets that job, Ray, everybody's looking for steals. They're going to start looking for Tim LeCastro. Yeah, his speed score the last year is eight and a half, which is insane. It's an insane number. Um, and, and the thing that is as remarkable as any, any number you can see, you can look up a lot of numbers in baseball, right? See a lot of crazy stuff. Tim LeCastro's played four seasons, and now granted – one year was three games, but he's played four seasons. He's got 26 steals in 145 games. That's not remarkable. It's good. It's not remarkable. 26 in 145 games, zero caught stealing. He's <laughs> never been caught once. You know, some of these guys out there, you know, Dylan Moore, like get caught every second time they run. He's never been caught. So yeah, he is someone that's, it's tough to play him in a mixed league. He falls in that John Birdie zone, right? It's like, well, there's really not much there other than the speed. But if you're looking for some early work there in that category, might be a guy to take take a chance on. As we move along here on the Baseball Leap podcast, let's go to the cleanup spot in our starting nine. Uh, the fourth thing we want to hit on today, Ray, is the uh, big draft you were a part of yesterday. It's Tout Wars season. I think uh, Jeff Erickson, Todd Zola, I was working with them yesterday, and they said, I think we're up to seven leagues in Tout Wars. And you've been a longtime participant in Tout Wars. And yesterday you were part of a 12-team get-together, um, a different get-together. We talked about this a bit in our first podcast, but this league, um, as usual in Tout Wars, does not have batting average. It was an OBP league. The difference here is saves got the boot. 
Now it's saves plus holds as a category. And very notably, wins got the boot as one of the five for by, five by five categories. Instead of wins, we got innings pitch. So, uh, Ray, I'm sure you tweeted out the link and people can see your draft and see how all the 12 owners built their team. But uh, coming out of that different league, what did you think of your draft yesterday? Yeah, and there's also a write-up at the site, so everyone can just go over there and, and check it out. And, hey, it's free, so tell your friends to read it and subscribe. Um, I thought it went pretty well, to be honest. And, you know, a lot of times I end up doing drafts and not feeling good about the team. I feel pretty good about this team. And I, I think that, you know – you guys had me on the broadcast and we talked about it and everything. I look at the start and I, I guess the key is does Christian Yelich rebound and how far does he rebound though? You pointed out on the broadcast and I did too, that you know, it was on base percentage last year, 356. And he was terrible. It was 356. So, you know, you look at the start, I've got power and speed and Yelich and um, Mr. Bichette at shortstop. I've got stability with Rendon at third. I, I really appreciate the overall game of Ozzy Albies. And even if he's down a little bit in the batting average category, I feel like I've got on-base percentage everywhere. Uh, I thought that, uh, you know, Buster Posey's a great option there. Sean Murphy, uh, Justin Turner at the corner infield spot. Um, Brandon Nimmo in the 19th round, he's like a 390 on base percentage for his career, which is in essence, meaning he's a 300 plus hitter. I like it. And I think it comes down to the pitching staff, Kyle, but I think most of the time it comes down to the pitching staff. Anything surprising in, in this draft? We ask that all the time. Mm -hmm. And maybe when you've been doing these for so long, nothing surprises you anymore. But I, I kind of want to ask that particular question, Ray, because this league was different. I mean, mm -hmm. and, and I guess specifically how people handled the innings category, because mm -hmm. we don't see that. You know, we, we've seen solds little by little. People have been listening to you over the years. You've yelled enough and now they've just given in. And maybe that's what happened with Tout Wars. They gave in to Ray Flowers and his hope for solds category. And again, OBP, that's kind of gained in popularity. But the innings thing, uh, very different, Ray. And and I wonder if you saw any of that play out. I did push for this. I actually started a whole chain of back and forth a couple years ago with the number. Like, we got to go to sold and everything. So I'm going to take partial credit, even though I, I <laughs> probably deserve none. Uh, yeah, the innings thing was, was really interesting because if you look at the first round, Cole and Bieber fell you know, a couple of spots beyond where they do sometimes, but it wasn't drastic. Um, by the end of the third round, fourth round, I think the amount of pitchers that came off the board were pretty standard. Um, it, this was a little bit different because it was a 12-team league. A lot of these mm -hmm. leagues are, that we do are 14 or 15. So that, I think, maybe gave some people some confidence too. But I, I, don't, I don't think that it, there was a huge shift in the majority of the pitchers. But there were some guys, you know, the James Paxons of the world, that you know, I think fell a little bit further. And, and you guys talked about on the serious broadcast the inclination of people the first time they do a league to kind of favor the categories that are new a little bit. Yeah, you know. But I mean, once you get past fifteen guys, who's throwing one hundred eighty innings this year? So I know you guys made fun of me for my final round pick with Madison Bumgarner in the 29th round. Madison Bumgarner is going to be top twelve in, in innings. Kyle, I did it. I won. <laughs> You're calling it. Huh? I won. <laughs> top 12 in innings. I'm going to, I'm going to write that down, Ray. Mad yeah. bum top 12 in innings. Yep. What does that put him about? 185, you think? Yeah, he could do that. Sure. Yeah. What okay. the hell? Um, everybody always wonders about the first round. Mm -hmm. um, notable in this draft, because I, I said on that broadcast, Ray, that it's a no doubt to me Juan Soto should go number one because mm -hmm. of the OBP aspect. He went number three. Yeah. Were you surprised it, it, when Acuna, Tatis, and Soto? Now, in a normal draft, we're seeing 
you know, bets in there at number one, Acuna, Tatis, Soto. There's like four or five guys going number one. But I really thought in an OBP league, Soto was was locked in at number one, but it didn't happen. Yeah, the, the real question, I think, with Soto is how good can he be? Not how good is he, how good can he be? And you saw last season a continual growth in his walk rate coupled with a, a declining strikeout rate. He had almost a one and a half walk to strikeout ratio, which you know, plays in 1922 baseball. Like that's crazy good for today's game. And you saw a walk rate of over 20%. He had a 490 on base percentage. Like that's, that's not Mike Trout. That's Ted Williams, Barry Bonds territory. And I was a little surprised as well. Like I understand he he doesn't bring the speed of Tatis and Acuna. He has stolen 12 bases. He could have done that last year easily. Six and 47 games played. He's made comments about wanting to run more. Let's give him 10, 12, 15 steals. I think that's enough to push him past a guy like Tatis in a setup like this. I agree with you, Kyle. Again, you can find more on this draft. I know Ray's got a link uh, on Twitter at baseball guys, also fantasy guru with a write-up that he put together. And as we move to the to the fifth spot in our starting nine, Ray, um, I want to stay with this Tout Wars draft and talk about your first round pick. Um, I think some people might have raised an eyebrow with Christian Yelich. And that is a player that I think a lot of people, no matter your league, no matter if it's a 10 team, 12 team, 15 team, NL only, whatever it is, Ray, mm-hmm. there have to be some question marks about Christian Yelich, uh, which is weird to say for two years, there's been zero question marks. The guy's been a stud. He was knocking on the door of being the number one overall pick. You still took him in the first round after a bad 2020. Uh, kind of make your case there. Mm-hmm. What, what are you looking at with Christian Yelich this year as, as he kind of delve into what happened last year and, and everything that went so wrong? Yeah, let, let's roll back real quickly here. Uh, I have been on the Christian Yelich bandwagon since 2014. That's not an exaggeration. <laughs> it's true. Okay. I never thought he would develop 35 plus home run power, but I was always, you can, you can search the interwebs for, for work from me back then. So I've, I've always been a mark for this guy. Uh, he's 29 years old. Okay. So he's not in an age where skill erosion. I mean, we, we've seen guys like Andrew Jones over the years, just tank, but it's very rare to see someone at the elite level do that. So I look at last season, it was messy. I look at last season and, you know, he's coming back off the leg injury. And I look at a guy that fell into a funk. I mean, he had for the previous six years had a strikeout rate between 19 and 21%. Okay. It's almost impossible over that period of time to have the grouping that tight. Last year, the mark was 31%. It's just not who he is, period. Just not who he is. So he, he, didn't, he didn't hit the pitches he normally hit. He didn't put the oomph in him that he normally did. He still, as we noted, this is an on-base percentage league, still had a, a, a 150 point spread between his batting average and his on-base percentage, which is massive. Uh, best walk rate of his career last year, by the way. So I think in an on-base percentage league, you bump them up a little bit. I think in every league, it's safe as it can be for a guy coming off that season to draft him this year because his approach is impressive. He hits the ball hard. Even last year when you know everything went bad, do, do the listeners know this? His hard hit rate last year was the best of his career. The best. Cool. Better than the MVP seasons. His exit velocity last year was the best of his career, better than his MVP level season. So I think there was wonkiness overall last year. And in particular with his game, he just couldn't find it. He probably would have found it over 150 games. He's going to find it again this year. 
Well, and we knew this going into the 60 game schedule, there would be slow starts, bad starts, and, and people would not recover. They'd start pressing. They understand it's a shortened season. Milwaukee was, you know, constantly battling for a playoff spot. So it's one of those snowball things. And, and as you note, it's 60 games. You let it slide. Um, he was just too good and too great to lose it that quickly. And, and remember, this is guy, not a guy who's 34. You know, this is not a guy who had a great rookie season at the age of 22, and then he came back at 23 in the league and figured him out. There's none of that with Christian Yelich. And Ray, let it also be known, you know, this is still a five-category guy. Like, yep. he, he, you know, he's not going to reach the MVP levels maybe of 2018 or even 19, yet he could still give you good numbers across the board. And, and that's kind of the safety and the type of player that Christian Yelich is. Like, let's say his batting average doesn't get back to 300. Let's say it's 280. Ray, I still feel like he'll give you 30 home runs. I still feel like he'll give you 100 ribbies. And the biggest thing is he probably still gets 20 to 25 steals. So, like, he can disappoint in a category like batting average, and yet he'll still find his way to getting numbers. Yeah, and the the, the issue with drafting him is, like you said, people shouldn't be drafting him and thinking he's going to hit 325 with 42 home runs. Like, if you're doing that, you're setting yourself up for failure. If you're more modest to your expectations and you hear the numbers Kyle tossed out there and say to yourself, yeah, okay, I can believe that you can draft him." Now you can also hear that and say, well, then why am I taking him in the first round? Think about what Kyle said. He said 30, 20 with hundred batting 280. Like that's still first round value. And that I would mean, be a down season. again. I know. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's, it, it was, and I wrote about this in the article at the site, it, it was, you know, it wasn't an easy decision. I had Trey Turner and I was Trey Turner and, ah, and I, I finally went with Yelich, but it, it was a difficult choice, but it shouldn't be a difficult choice if the decision is, do I draft him or not? So you take Yelich in the first round, um, again, number seven overall, his ADP is about 11, but again, it's kind of personal preference. It's not silly to even, maybe even take him like five or six, although if you're taking him at five or six, you're probably passing up on trout or bets, you know, so understand what you're I wouldn't have done that. There. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Seven or eight is kind of the sweet spot. Maybe to strike on Yelich. What's notable in your draft Ray is you were more than willing to take a shot on guys who were coming off, say, quote unquote, down seasons. Um, you know, I look at your team and, and there's James Paxton who missed most of the year. You mentioned him, but you know, Kinley Jansen kind of comes into this year and people are wondering about him. Uh, Hunter Dozier, who we talked about on the podcast a couple of days ago, you know, he was back and forth. Sean Manaya had some downtimes. Lorenzo Kane uh, chose to set out most of the season. And then as we get to our daily player profile and, and every time we do a podcast here with the baseball elite podcast, we'll do a player profile. Ray in the 24th round, he took a shot on Robbie Ray. And, and I wanted to spotlight him and get your thoughts on him because obviously you drafted him. Um, he is one of these guys that you look at as maybe a rebound uh, candidate in 2021. But there was also the report the other day. Uh, well, not the report. It happened. We all saw it. His first start of spring training, the guy throws 26 pitches and 24 of them go for strikes, which, you know, is great for anybody, Ray, but it's really good for Robbie Ray. Uh, to, to kind of have that sort of, uh, you know, that sort of percentage with his back and forth strike the ball ratio, because when you look at his career and uh, this crops up constantly, Ray, even Ro when Robbie Ray's on, those walks can get the best of him. And, you know, last year it was a disaster with walks. It's just good to see him hitting the strike zone. And hey, you drafted him 24th round. I'm sure you're in on a rebound. What's your look at, at Robbie Ray, your player profile of him? Last year, by the way, 36% of his pitches were in the strike zone. 
<laughs> so and, 20... and again, two days ago, what is that? Like 97%. Yeah, that's astounding, Kyle. You weren't strong enough with what he did the other day. Uh, the issue with Ray is that this is what we saw last year too. You remember he was changing his arm angle. He, not his arm angle, he was changing his motion. He was shortening up, his, instead of dropping his hand all the way down you know, to his knee level, he was shortening his, his arm path. And in camp, he was striking out every one of his teammates 13 times a day. Like it was amazing. And then the season started and it was a disaster. And what happened with Ray is he got caught, which is what happens frequently to players. They're, they're kind of teetering, right? They were something. They've slid off that a little bit. They know they've got to make a change. They make a change. The change doesn't work. They try to go back to the original. The original now doesn't work because of the change they made. So last year, he, you can look at video. He From almost start to start, his hands were different. His arm swing was different. It just it was a mess. The amazing thing throughout all of the mess is that he still misses bats at an elite level. I mean, he still struck out almost 12 guys per nine innings, and he was a disaster last year. So when you're taking a pitcher at that point of the draft, being able to legitimately say that guy can strike out 200 guys is rare. Now, his ratios might be catastrophic. Because even when he was really, he's had one season where the whip was good. The rest of the time, he's basically been league average. I think that it's a good point in the draft to take Robbie Ray. It's a good risk to take because you're not invested to the point where if he makes five starts and you move on, it's killing you. If he makes five starts and it's good, it could lead to a bounty of success. So it's more of a, a percentage play than anything else, Kyle. I don't anticipate him being a superstar. But if he were to settle back in at the levels he was in 2019, which I think is possible, People are going to be very happy that they drafted him at that point. And one thing I like, Ray, is, you know, he got traded last year and went to Toronto. And then he was a free agent this year. But very quickly, they re-signed him. Um, and I, I, I'm a big believer in don't listen to what a team says. Look what they do. Right. And to me, Ray, that told me that Toronto made a very quick signing of Ray when they could have waited. I mean, it's not like people were knocking on Robbie Ray's door to get him coming off that season. But they quickly seem to realize that we want this guy and, and we maybe have the secret sauce to fix this guy. Um, and I'm glad he's got new eyes on him. And I'm glad he's staying with Toronto. Um, that doesn't bear out in the numbers. It's not like he was stupendous in his you know half dozen starts last year with the Blue Jays. But to me, that kind of tells me like this staff and this team thought they had something with Ray and they wanted to give it a go this year. Yeah, and you're right. It's great when a team shows that support. And, you know, you, you, you see teams talk about this all the time. And let's be honest here. You can't teach arm talent. You can't. And teams have, sometimes they have quick tempers anymore. We see that they act a lot like the apoplectic fantasy owner where they're just making moves every six minutes. But some teams say, look, you know, this guy went 15 games one year. This guy has had multiple seasons of 200 plus strikeouts. On any given day, he can throw seven shutout innings. We've all seen it. Let's see if we can find the missing link. Remember, he's 29. There's been there's been a lot of pitchers, especially recently, that hit that age, and it's like they settle in and they improve. And there are some studies out there that suggest physically that the best period of time for a pitcher is in that like 28 to 34 range. It's actually older than with the hitters. Because the idea being that, you know, the body, you know, the guy's arms are going to break if they have broken, right? These guys haven't. They figured out how to make it work. If their arms have broken, they're now past that. Um, so I think that there's all the pieces there for Ray to be a very good producer given the cost. Just don't expect him to be a lead or anything like that. Yeah, I, I think the reasonable expectation is, hey, I'm going to get 10 or 11 wins. Um, ERA is going to be 3-7. 
the whip's going to be one, two, five, maybe one, three. You know, these numbers are not going to jump off the board. So understand what I'm saying here. But strikeouts. And, and really, Ray, if, if he is healthy, if Robbie Ray's healthy, and we can say this about all pitchers, but really we can say it about Ray because we know he can strike out, guys. If he gives you 170 innings, Ray, he's probably at 200 Ks. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's that's the big payoff with Ray. And as long as you're willing to, to accept the less than good ratio numbers, that K total can carry him to value. Um, now, the more he pitches, the more that K total creates value because you got to be out there to get the numbers for the strikeouts. But that is something like you have no worries with on Robbie Ray. It's like it's a given. He's going to strike guys out. Uh, he's probably going to walk guys, too, but he's going to get strikeouts. And that's going to help your bottom line uh, in the fantasy game. That is our player profile of the Toronto Blue Jays right hander Robbie Ray. Uh, that's in the sixth spot. And that leads us to the seventh spot, Ray. Uh, talking about some other players who may have a turnaround this year. We, we hit on Yelich, we hit on Ray, so why not keep it going? Um, some names I looked at, and, and we're not going to spend a ton of time on these guys, but kind of a quick thought on yay or nay for a turnaround. Um, Josh Donaldson, Andrew Benintendi, Paul DeYoung, and Scott Kingery. I'm just going to kind of choose those four. Those names kind of jumped off the board to me in that tout wars. They were being drafted relatively late. Um, so maybe a quick thumbnail sketch of each, kind of a yes or no for a rebound, starting with Josh Donaldson. Yeah, I would have chosen Donaldson, by the way, but I had taken Turner, and he was still sitting there, and I was like, I just can't have a third, third baseman on my roster. It wouldn't have made sense for the the grouping. But Josh Donaldson, the issue with him, he's 35, right? The issue with him is health. I mean, we can say it about so many guys, but it is. Even last year when he stunk, he had 222. This is very Yelich-like. He had 222. His on-base percentage was 373. And he had an 842 OPS. Those are still all-star level numbers. So I think with health in that ballpark with that team, there's a legitimate 25, 30 home run hitter here. No problem. It's just about can he stay healthy? You got to cover yourself with Donaldson. Uh, Donaldson still with the twins. Andrew Benintendi moving over to the Kansas City Royals. What are the chances for a rebound there? I've always liked Benintendi. Um, there was a back and forth with a bunch of people, especially on Twitter, about I was wrong about Benintendi because he was so great at the start. Well, it turns out I was right about Benintendi. Now everyone's wrong about Benintendi because he was terrible last year. But I did a Ramon Laureano or Andrew Benintendi article about a week ago at Fantasy Guru. People can go read that. Uh, my thought process is it's a good place for Benintendi to be with the Royals. Uh, it's a ballpark that he should have success in. He understands trying to do the launch angle thing and get all big and muscular. It's not who he was. I expect him to hit 15 home runs, slap the ball around the field there in Kansas City. I think he could be a sneaky 15-20 steal guy that not a lot of people are talking about at the current cost. I'm buying Benintendi's rebound. Uh, let's go back to the infield. Uh, Paul DeYoung, the power uh, fell off a cliff, Ray, but mm-hmm. uh, the batting average was a little better for DeYoung. It's, it's kind of wild to look at him, and, and this speaks to how deep the shortstop position is, but I mean, Paul DeYoung literally costs nothing as an everyday shortstop with some power. He's he's outside the top 20 at the shortstop position. Yeah, he he. he when you look at his batting average, you're hoping for league average, right? That's, that's just what it is. It could be worse. We've seen it be worse two of the last three seasons. So there's nothing upside there. There's really no speed. I know he's still nine base a couple of years ago, but let's see, he's going to still three or four bases. There's no speed. So it's about playing daily and it's about the counting categories with him. He has to fit in with what your team is doing because if he's hitting 245 with 28 home runs and two steals, do you need the power? Can you take on the batting average liability? Are you looking up the middle for speed? He doesn't have that. So he has to be the right fit for a team. 
but I think it's very reasonable to expect him to be a 25 home run hitter again this year, hitting around 250. Uh, given his cost, he's a good buy. Go to Scott Kingery, Ray. Uh, boy, three years ago, hype. People love Scott Kingery. He got a big contract before he played a major league yeah. game with the Phillies. Uh, that contract, you know, back then it was like, oh, wow, smart move by the Phillies. We're kind of surprised King re-signed it. Uh, now King is very happy he signed it because Ray, he would be, you know, he'd be making a pittance compared to what he's making now with the Phillies. He's, he's been a disappointment uh, really since he got to the big leagues. He has. And uh, I think the real question that last year he had COVID and it wiped him out. He was honest about it. Um, McCutcheon and Bryce Harper play every day in the outfield. Okay. If Alec Baum holds down third, if Reese Hoskins healthy at first, and then Gene Segura is playing second base, the only place in the daily lineup for Kingery is center field. Now, they also have Adam Hazley. They've got Roman Quinn, different kinds of players, but, you know, Hazley's lefty. Quinn's got the speed. So Kingery's got to go or he's in danger of not being in the lineup every day. Now, he can play second. He can play in the outfield. He can be moved around. He does have some power and speed. You know, we've seen that previously. He almost went 2015, his first full season, or second full season, excuse me. He's got holes in his game, so he really needs to play every day. He's not the kind of guy that if he gets 400 plate appearances, it's going to do enough, in my opinion. So I hope that he can start out quickly, put last season behind him, but there are playing time concerns with him. Moving uh, to the latter portion of our Baseball Elite podcast, uh, Kyle Ulfrink and, and Ray Flowers with you. And as we get to our final couple of uh, spots in the batting order, the eight and nine spot, we have a little fun on the back end of the show. And in the eight hole, Ray, we always like to uh, hit up our friends at baseballreference.com, which is a uh, must link page for everybody out there who cares about baseball and fantasy baseball. And we hit you with a random reference, which is uh, exactly what it sounds. We hit the random pages link over at Baseball Reference, and we just see who they give us. And, and Ray, see if I, we can be reminded of a guy. Mm-hmm. We can find something interesting about a guy. Um, the only rule we have is that this player must have played um, or this game, because they sometimes send you to games. This player or this game must have taken place in the fantasy era. So 1980 to present is kind of what we're looking at there. Uh, so let's get into this, Ray. And uh, lo and behold, wow, I just hit the button, Ray. Okay. And this isn't going way back. And it actually is a game. Uh, April 9th, 2014. Uh, what was this? That was a Wednesday. Ray Flowers may have even been at this game. I don't know. Arizona at San Francisco. An early season game. Diamondbacks win at 7-3. to three. Bronson Arroyo getting the win for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Tim Lincecum the loss. Josh Colmenter, the save. And the biggest name there, Ray, is, is Tim Lincecum. This was a bad game for him. And remember, this is, you know, Lincecum, you go back to this spot in the season, or I guess in the career for Tim Lincecum. You go back, what was this, 2014? Mm-hmm. This is kind of when he was trying to trying to figure it out again for Tim Lincecum. Yeah, he was amazing. And, you know, the freak and the whole thing, he did his own training. He didn't ice his arm. Yeah, I've, I've met him, you know, interviewed him kind of thing. He's a small dude. Like they list him at 5'11", 170. He walked past you on the street. You'd never notice. You know, he had that crazy long stride where he jumped at the, the batter. Uh, he won the Cy Young Award his first two full seasons. People might forget that. I mean, this guy took baseball by storm. He was and supposed to be a Hall of Famer. Supposed to be a Hall of Famer, <laughs> yeah. And for about four or five years, he was great. And then it just started to, to leave him. And there's been a lot of stories written about why his velocity started going down and all that. But uh, by 2014, he was, like you said, kind of just holding on, kind of a guy. 
But at the start of his career, he wasn't just fantastic on the hill. He was the show on the hill. Yeah, that uh, that was a four inning outing for Lincecum. He gave up the seven runs in the uh, seven to three loss to Arizona. It's pretty wild to look at this San Francisco team, Ray, and understand this is literally seven years ago. And obviously Lincecum has moved on. But Ray, in the lineup on that Wednesday night, guys who are still with the Giants in 2021, Brandon Belt, Buster Posey, and Brandon Crawford. Yeah. I mean, these guys are still with the Giants. <laughs> kind of speaks to uh, some of the long-term viability of these players there. Yeah, and they're making $65 million or something this year. <laughs> uh, Giants got a lot of contracts that are nearing the ends of them uh, for some of the guys that were that were there. Uh, you know, again, 2010, 12, and 14 were World Series wins, right? So um, Giants were, were special there for a while. Those guys played a, a big key. They're still hanging around now. Uh, Brandon Belt, by the way, uh, one of the best offensive players in baseball last year. Look it up. <laughs> People are doing that right now saying, what in the hell is Ray smoking? Uh, he had an over 1,000 OPS, Brandon Belt. Uh, Diamondbacks don't have a single guy uh, from that game in 2014 that is still with the franchise here in 2021. Home runs in that game. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt and Gerardo Parra both taking Lincecum deep. And uh, Mike Morse had a home run for the Giants, as well as Buster Posey. That is our uh, random reference here on the Baseball Elite Podcast. We do it each and every time that we meet. We also give you our stamp of approval. It's in the nine hole. It's the last thing we do on a show, Ray. It's something that each week you and I say, you know what? This is cool. People should check it out. It could be a ball player. It could be a stat. It can be anything. It, it can be a, a, a food item. It can be a new chair that you bought, whatever it is. Ray, what gets your stamp of approval this time around? Yeah, it was Barbara Stanwyck last time. <laughs> um, so I'm staying rogue again for the first week here of the, the, the baseball elite podcast. I'm rereading the born novels by Robert Ludlum, uh, the born identity, the born supremacy, the born ultimatum. I'm into the ultimatum now, which is the third one, obviously of the trilogy, the movies, if you've seen them, they're great. They don't follow the storyline of the novels per se. So uh, anyone that in, enjoyed the movies and you like reading, want to pick something up, those Robert Ludlum versions are not the ones that have been done since. You'll be careful because it's Robert <laughs> Ludlum's story that's now written by other people because he's passed on. He only wrote three of them, The Born Identity, The Born Supremacy, and The Born Ultimatum. He's a great writer, and I really love the stories, Kyle. I'm actually going to stay on the entertainment side, too, for my stamp of approval, but on the viewing side. And... Um... I, I'm slow to to get to things like Netflix or, you know, Amazon Prime and Hulu and all that stuff. I, I don't really have the time. But, Ray, I will say, and, and I know this has been out for probably three months or so, the um, show on Netflix, the French show um, entitled Lupin mm. um, is very enjoyable. It's it's kind of a, a breezy, you know, one hour show. It, there's only five episodes. I think they got the second season coming out. Um, and if you're worried about the whole French aspect, mm -hmm. um, it is different than an American produced show. So there are some things that are not maybe up to snuff of the most di discerning viewers. Uh, but the other thing about, you know, people hate subtitles. Mm -hmm. No subtitles here, Ray. It's oh. dubbed in English. Well, I was um, just, and it's just, not awful. The dubbing is not awful right? on this show. I was just going to ask because, you know, me, I, we've talked over the years. I can't watch movies with subtitles. It just there's something about the visual acuity that gets thrown off. So. The dubbing part, all of a sudden, now I'm paying more attention to what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty fun. It's it's about a uh, burglar, for like, you know, it's a, it's a guy who's trying to, um, I guess you would say, clear the name of his deceased father. Mm. Um, and he's known as the gentleman burglar. Lupin yeah. is reference to a French novel 
uh, a character known as the gentleman burglar. And so this guy kind of embraces that characterization. And, and like I said, it's, it's just kind of a, a fun little crime mystery sort of thing, but uh, certainly well worth a watch. Uh, so check it out. Lupin on uh, Netflix and Ray has you going to the Robert Ludlum. Make sure they're the Ludlum books of the born identity and such. Uh, Ray, as we head out the pod door, we have completed another Baseball Elite podcast. I guess we'll be back on Saturday with our weekend edition. But until then, where can listeners find you? Uh, listeners can find me, obviously, at Fantasy Guru. I'm in the chat room all, all the time. People can check that out. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of seeing an uptick there, which I really like to see a lot of the community talking to one another, helping each other out, which is fantastic. Um, that's basically where I'm at, that and on Sirius. And uh, we're doing all these drafts. So I think that you and I, Kyle, are we working together on Saturday on a draft? Yeah, team? we're busy. This yeah. weekend's crazy busy. We are still going to do the podcast, but we've got our usual show. We've got the uh, labor uh, salary cap leagues that are going to be taking place on Saturday and Sunday. It's it's a crazy week of baseball discussion, but we'll still be doing the podcast. That's a good thing. We will. And on Wednesdays, just to remind everyone, I do the Elite Sports Show with Jeff Manns, which is two to, wait, excuse me, four to six Eastern. I apologize. Four to six Eastern. And, and so depending upon when you hear this podcast, it'll either be right before this podcast or right after it. So a lot of places to find Ray. As for me, um, you can find me dealing with an issue that's starting to tick me off. Oh. Um, Ray, I don't, you know, Tampa finally got rid of the whole Brandon Lau, Nate Lowe thing. Right. Yeah. Did, did you see there's another Lowe or Lau with Tampa now? Oh, geez, really? There, no, there's no. this prospect, this Josh, and I don't know, is it Lowe or Lau? I, I guess I'm going to have to, but now we have Josh Lowe who, who's coming up through the ranks. So just when I thought I was in the clear, you know, that was always confusing. Is it Lau? Is it Lowe? At least they finally said Nate Lowe goes to Texas. So now I know Lowe in Texas, Lau in Tampa, but now I got to figure out this Josh, Josh Lowe or Josh Lau thing with Tampa. It's crazy. Life isn't, life isn't fair sometimes, Kyle. It sucks. It, it actually does. sucks. Yeah. Uh, that'll do it for our Baseball Elite podcast. Hopefully we did it for you. Uh, Ray and I having a lot of fun. We will see you on Saturday right here on the Baseball Elite podcast.